Jesus Christ, our living hope. It's so exciting to me to sing that song with you and to think about how much of that song is present tense. He is alive. He is our living hope. We've come today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the miracle of all miracles. I wonder if you could practice with me what was practiced throughout the decades in history as people celebrated a resurrected Savior. I wonder today if I say to you, He is risen, that right there in your home you could reply back, He is risen indeed. Let me hear you do that with me right now. Okay, church? He is risen. I hear you. That's awesome. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you sound good this morning. I hear Jim and Alan giving us four-part harmony there on Because He Lives. Uh, you've arrived early for this Easter service. I, you know, it's crazy on this online stuff. Uh, you can see things that you can't normally see. And one of those things is that when people begin to log in to watch the services, it shows how many people are waiting before it comes up. Uh, some of the sites you can see that. A couple of weeks ago, I saw uh, before the service started that seven people were waiting. And I, I know this morning that some of you have been sitting here waiting for this service to start. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's awesome. That means that the Gillums and the Chambers are already here early, like always. Uh, you look good. Uh, Easter Sunday, we think about getting on our best and wearing our finest to celebrate the greatest miracle of all times. And, and I just feel like I can see you, Mills family, and I can see you, Malden family, with your matching outfits. Maybe it's matching pajamas this year instead of smock dresses. But uh, I see you, Ralph Moore, with your brand new bow tie on. It's Easter Sunday, without a doubt. Well, obviously, my imagination is uh, running a little bit crazy today. This is not the kind of Easter that we would have planned six months ago. We would have been expecting multiple services, uh, traffic problems, filled rooms. But today is different, but the news is still the same. And I'm excited about being able to share uh, this Easter with you, even if it is in this way. Uh, I want to see your pictures. You're going to take porch pictures. You're going to take family pictures. And I'd love to see them. You're uh, seeing me. Uh, I'm not getting to see you. And I'm hurting over that. So I, I'd love for you to email me some pictures. You could do that at carlos at watkinsville.org. And let me see your Easter celebration. You could tag those pictures. Uh, Watkinsville Easter 2020. We'll be able to find those pictures out there on the media. And I'm missing seeing you. Uh, I was walking on the street yesterday in our neighborhood and our little precious neighbor, Lily Louise. Maybe you're watching right now, Lily Louise. And, and uh, she came running across the yard and she said, Pastor Carlos? Pastor Carlos? Are you real? Are you real? I'm thinking, yes, I'm real. I am. I'm real. I'm here. I'm your pastor. I'm still alive. Uh, I, I just uh, Maybe you sending me some pictures would let me know that you're real and that you're alive and that you're out there today. Uh, a lot of you are watching for the very first time. So many people have told me they've asked their friends 
to join them online today. And I want to say again, like Sean did earlier, uh, thank you for doing that. And let me just make sure you know as a guest online that people invited you because they care about you. And nobody's keeping tabs, nobody's keeping numbers that uh, is some kind of uh, report that's going to mean we get some kind of an award. This is serious because there's a message that we care so much about. There's a person that we care so much about. And people have invited their friends because they want their friends to know about this Jesus. And so thank you for taking the time on this day to join with your friends uh, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. In these days, we are developing a new vocabulary. Have you noticed it already? We're using words in these days that we were not using six weeks ago. If we were using them, we probably weren't using them linked together. Uh, These are words that weeks from now, months from now, even years from now, when we hear them, they will immediately take us back to a time in history. Uh, You know those words. You're using them in your everyday life now. Words like these, social distancing, essential services, shelter at home. Uh, Dozens and dozens of times I've heard people use the word unprecedented. And all of those words are just what's coming out of these days that we're in right now. New ways of talking, new ways of using our words. Uh, Maybe the most common word I've begun to hear in recent days is this word, uncertainty. I hear it over and over again. We, We talk about things being uncertain. We talk about living in days of uncertainty. And so many things are. It's, it's the right word to use. Uh, there are so many things that are uncertain. And when you think about in these days, we start asking questions like, I wonder what's going to happen with my job. I, I wonder what's going to happen with my school. I, I wonder what's going to happen with my sports. Will I still have a chance to get a scholarship? Will I be able to break that points record or that block record or that strikeout record. Uh, We wonder about um, school. Will we graduate? Will we meet in person? What will it be like now that we've been online? It's uncertain trips that I always dreamed of taking on my 30th anniversary or my 25th anniversary. Will we be able to do that? Will we be able to afford it? When will I get my driver's license? I, I, I hear you, Mary Catherine. I hear you, Ty. You got the car, you, you, you got the desire, you got the age, but you can't get your driver's license. It's just uncertain. It's hard. I saw this tagline with Wall Street Journal this past week. It was an advertisement for their paper, and it said this, Uncertain times call for trusted facts. Uncertain times call for trusted facts. What a great line. And it's so true about where our heart is. Yes, there are 
uncertain times and that makes us want to know what's true. It makes us want to know what is certain. And that's what I want to talk to you about for about the next 20 minutes. I want to talk to you about what is certain in these uncertain days. I love the opportunity to be able to stand before you and hopefully encourage you with these words. I believe that God might want to change your life today and give you some certainty in your life and in your eternity that you never knew was possible. So today when we talk about certainty in uncertain times, it's so good to be able to know this for this reason. What we can know now is what allows us to face what we can't know now. I get that. School, life, marriage, jobs, health, future. What we can know now is what allows us to face what we can't know now. And so I want to propose this to you today. You're a guest, maybe first time jumping online. Maybe you've been a part of our church family for a number of years or part of church family somewhere else for a number of years. But here's what I'm proposing to you. The story of Jesus gives us all the certainty we need to face uncertain times. I say that again. The story of Jesus gives us all the certainty we need to face uncertain times times. Corey Ten Boom said these words many years ago. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And today what we can know about God and his son Jesus Christ allows us to face an unknown future. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and certainly in a, a crazy kind of way, if you don't have a copy of God's Word or you're, uh, it's hard for you to find a passage, have that glorious button right there called pause that you could stop, find a copy of God's Word, type it into your computer, uh, find uh, this New Testament book there, uh, and it's the fifth book of the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. You can listen to me. Or you can read along with me. And we're going to look at these verses here. Acts chapter 2. As we read these verses, I want to remind you about the story of Jesus. These two facts. The story of Jesus gives us the most certain explanation of why we are alive. The story of Jesus gives us the most certain explanation of why we're alive. And then number two, the story of Jesus gives us the most certain evidence of what happens to us when we die. And so both sides of the grave, both sides of life, uh, how, how and why and what reason we're here for this life, and then how, what, where, life after death. Jesus, the story of Jesus gives us the most certain explanation and the most certain evidence for both sides of the grave. Acts chapter 2, I want to begin reading in verse 22. This is a speech by Peter, a man named Peter, who is speaking 
after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's standing before a crowd of people, and he's uh, speaking and teaching and explaining uh, this news about Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosened the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then these verses go into an explanation of uh, an Old Testament king, an Old Testament prophet by the name of David. It be familiar to some of you. And he explains some verses that David wrote. But pick up in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. So when I read these verses that tell us, what we can know about Jesus. I want to mention to you very rapidly some facts that we actually can know about Jesus. And these are facts that we know about Jesus, whether we are a follower of Jesus or we are not a follower of Jesus. These are things that we can know about Jesus Christ, whether we are atheist or agnostic or whether we are a long-time believer in Jesus Christ. Whether you're Christian or non-Christian, these are the trusted facts. These are the known facts about Jesus in history. There are seven of these, and I want to just give them to you one by one by one. We know this. Number one, Jesus was born and lived. Jesus was born and lived in a hometown called Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was known to be from Nazareth. Jesus was born, and he lived, and he had a hometown called Nazareth. Number two, Jesus taught publicly in and around Jerusalem about spiritual things. We know that to be true. We know that Jesus was born and he had a hometown called Nazareth. We know that Jesus taught publicly in and around Jerusalem about spiritual things. Number three, Jesus claimed to be both the Son of God and sent by God. Those were his claims. We have that recorded in history. Jesus claimed to be both the Son of God and sent by God. Number four, Jesus was crucified and buried in a borrowed tomb. It's a fact of history. You can go to what we call the Holy Land. You can go to the place and see that Jesus was crucified on a hill called 
Calvary. We can go to a tomb where he was buried. It's a known fact, number five. Jesus predicted multiple times he would die, be crucified, buried, and rise back to life. We know that he predicted that. Those were words that he said. Whether, they, whether you believe they happened or not, we do know that he said they were going to happen. He predicted multiple times he would die, be crucified, be buried, and rise back to life. Number six, we know there is an empty tomb. We, we know there's an empty tomb. For whatever reason, we know there's an empty tomb. And number seven, we know that his followers displayed a new boldness after what was reported to be his resurrection. We know his followers displayed a new boldness after what was reported to be his resurrection. Now, those are known facts. That, that's not something that historians, non-Christian or Christian alike, are, are seeking to dispute. They're, they're settled. Investigators uh, can find these facts in history and, and no, just like George Washington was the first president, just like the earth is round, just like men landed on the moon, there are facts established in history. But that leaves some questions. And there are three of those. Number one, was Jesus sent by God as the Son of God to be the Savior of the world? That's a question we need to answer. That's a, a question that we when we're looking for trusted facts, when we're looking for certainty in uncertain days, we need to be able to answer this question. Was Jesus sent by God as the Son of God to be the Savior of the world? And I would say to you, yes, for three reasons. Number one, he was promised by the prophets. In Luke chapter 18, just a couple of verses here, I would call your attention to Luke chapter 18, verse 31 and 33. These were the words of Jesus. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. The prophets over the course of hundreds of years told that the Messiah was coming. They told what city he would be born in. They gave details of even what he would ride on coming into Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying before the last week of his life to the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem and everything that's been said about me all of those years is going to come true. And that's exactly what happened. That's what we're talking about today. Jesus was saying it before it happened. We're looking it back at the fact that it did happen. And we see that all of that comes together. Let me give you this sentence about how Jesus taught truth. It, you could get lost in it just a little bit. But I think it really communicates what's happening when Jesus teaches things about the future that are true. And here's the statement. Jesus taught truth. Before we were able to understand the truth, so that when we saw the truth, 
we would know that it is the truth. Now, there's some note takers out there. Maybe that would be something that would help you to jot down. And let me give it to you again. Jesus taught truth before we were able to understand the truth so that when we saw the truth, we would know that is the truth. And that's here what Jesus was doing when he told them before he went to Jerusalem. And the very verse here says, but they understood none of these things. You see, when you look in the New Testament, when Jesus would teach, you would see his own mother, Mary, pondering what he said. You would see the disciples more than just here listening to Jesus and, and trying to figure out, what was he saying? Oh, I don't understand. But later, they would see those things happen. And in their mind, immediately, it would come back. And they would say, that's what he was talking about. He told us the truth before we could understand the truth. Therefore, we know it's true. And that's what happened with Jesus. Was he the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Yes, he was promised by the prophets. And he fulfilled all of what they said. And the second reason that he was the Son of God is because he was attested by God. Back in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, where we started, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, known facts, but was he the son of God? Was he the savior of the world? Yes. He was promised by the prophets. He was attested by God. That means that it, he was proven by God. He was, uh, it was explained by God through Jesus, who he was. There was evidence. There was proof given. And there were three, three ways that God attested Jesus to be the Son of God. One was mighty works. Mighty works is a Greek word, dunamis. It's a word for power. And through Jesus, God did powerful works. These were demonstrations of power that could only be explained by the supernatural. God had to be involved in it. One example of this was the wind and the waves. The disciples on a boat, the wind is blowing, the waves are tossing the boat. They think they're going to die. They awake Jesus and he looks at the wind and he speaks, Peace be still. And the wind died down and the waves went away. And the disciples said, Behold, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Mighty works. And then wonders. This Jesus did wonders. These were uh, ac actions that were meant to arouse astonishment. That is, when you saw them happen, you would just go, Wow, you'd either be speechless or you'd be filled with praise. You would be astonished. One example of this would be when Jesus would raise the dead. There was an account where Jesus was not even present, where he told one Leader, your son is well. And he goes back and he finds his son well. Jesus goes into a little girl and he speaks to her and she gets up and she awakes from the dead. Wonders and then signs. He was attested to, by God through signs. These were uh, actions that happened that were meant to signify spiritual 
truth. One example of this would be an encounter Jesus had with a fig tree. He reached to grab fruit off of a fig tree, but nothing was there. And he pronounced a curse on that fig tree. And before their eyes, that fig tree withered. And the the truth that he was signifying there, the sign that he was given, was attached to the way the Jewish people would reject Jesus Christ. They would not bear fruit when it came to receiving him as the Messiah. So he was promised by the prophets. He was attested by God. And then third, he was crucified for sin. In Acts chapter 3, just over a page here, verse 14, we see that Jesus, his death, his crucifixion was for sin. Was he sent by God as the Son of God and the Savior of the world? Yes, because he was crucified for sin. Acts Acts 3, verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Look in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. This is good news. Was he the Son of God to be the Savior of the world? Yes, the prophets promised him. Yes, God proved him through mighty wonders and signs and works. And yes, his death on the cross was for sin. Apostle Peter here speaks and he says... His death means that your sins can be blotted out, covered over, done away with. So yes, yes, he was the son of God to be the savior of the world. Number two, was Jesus raised back to life? Was he? We know those facts about there being a death and a burial and even the fact that there is an empty tomb but does that mean that Jesus rose back to life I'll never forget when these facts about the resurrection of Jesus came together for me as a college student I was raised in church maybe like so many of you and I knew the Sunday school answers hey who's the savior of the world Jesus what did he do died on a cross Uh, what happened then he was buried What happened then? He rose again on the third day. I mean, just hands go up. We know the Sunday school answers. But when I got away from home and in college, it became a lot more real than just Sunday school answers. And and I had to wrestle with this Jesus. Did he rise from the dead? Because if he rose from the dead, then that makes everything else true. That's the bedrock. That's the cornerstone. Let me, give you, let me give you these three reasons of why we can say, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. They, they have had such a, uh, an amazing, strengthening effect to my own faith. Number one, there were eyewitnesses. There were people who saw with their eyes that Jesus rose from the dead. 
Uh, verse 22 of Acts chapter 2 says that these things happened in your midst. The disciples said, of these things we are witnesses. In Acts 4 verse 19 it says, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. There were people who saw with their own eyes a resurrected Savior. Eyewitnesses. Number two, they were transformed lives. Do you know that these disciples that we read about in the book of Acts were the same disciples that followed Jesus and then when it came to his death and crucifixion, they scattered, they ran, they went away, they denied they knew him, they became cowardly, they, they were frightened by all of this. But when you come to the book of Acts and there's this uh, proclamation of a resurrected Savior, they are bold, they are courageous, they, they, their lives are transformed and people who would not even own up to knowing him began to speak boldly for him. In fact, the book of Acts, when you put it together, you see that 25% of the 28 chapters are speeches that tell us about this Jesus who lived, died, was buried, and rose again. 11 of the 12 disciples died as martyrs because of what they believed. The, the 12th disciple, John, was isolated on an island called Patmos because he would not deny Jesus. People do not die for lies. And we see their transformed lives as evidence of a resurrected Savior. And then number three, there's no other possibilities. There, there are no other possibilities than the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. There's an empty tomb. So, oh, oh, isn't there? Well, one possibility some people say is that he was stolen by the disciples. The body was stolen by the disciples. Well, how do you account for that? We account for that by the fact that it was more than just the disciples that were proclaiming this story. You see, Jesus first appeared to a group of women when he was risen from the dead. Then he appeared to individual people, a woman, Man, he, he, the Bible tells us that he appeared to more than 500 people over the course of 40 days after his resurrection. They had stolen the body. You can't account for those hundreds of eyewitnesses. Number two, maybe his body was stolen by the Romans or the Jews. Well, they account for that by the fact that what would shut down Christianity would be to produce the body. And if the Romans or the Jewish people had stolen the body, all they would have to do after the third day would be to bring that body of Jesus out into public. And everything that Jesus had promised and preached and taught would crumble to the ground if they could just produce the body. They couldn't. A third possibility, you might say, was they went to the wrong tomb. Where The tomb we're looking at was not the tomb where Jesus was buried. And we account for that by the fact that it was a borrowed tomb that was known to be the tomb of a certain individual. And people were able to go to that tomb that they knew was borrowed and Jesus was not there. So well, maybe a fourth possibility would be that he fainted and he passed out and he never actually really died on that cross. And we turn to medical professionals for this to maybe support what you might say. Yes, it says it in the Bible, but can you prove it? We do know that when you 
trace the way that Jesus was beaten and flogged, the way he would have suffocated on that cross, and the way that his side was pierced and the blood and water that flowed out. The evidence is there is that Jesus had not fainted, but Jesus had died. And this crucified body had risen from the grave. Was Jesus sent by God? Yes. As the Savior of the world? Yes. Was he raised back to life? I believe the evidence says, yes, eyewitnesses, transformed lives. No other possibilities for an empty tomb. And here's the third and last question, and we'll be done. Was Jesus meant to have an eternal impact on my life? And like the others, yes, he is. Let me give you two verses. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Maybe you've heard that verse before. Maybe you never have. But right now in your home or wherever you are, you could believe on Jesus and receive eternal life. Let me give you another verse. Was Jesus meant to have an eternal impact on our life? Yes. John 14.10 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ who died and rose again is saying to us that he's the way for us to get to the Father. He's the way for us to have life here and in eternity. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee that our sins can be forgiven. And that the grave can be defeated. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. And I want to invite you today to receive this resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. He died to pay for your sins. He rose again on the third day. These facts can be trusted. Well, how do we do that? You receive him by faith. Do you know right now me preaching in this empty room is a lot like you believing in an empty tomb. Me preaching in an empty room right now, I'm believing that you're out there. I believe that you're hearing me, that you're responding to me. I, I believe even that one day I will see you face to face. You believing in an empty tomb is a lot like that. It's you believing that Jesus is out there, that he's alive, and that he hears you, and that he's responding to you. And it's believing that one day you will see him face to face. And so, how do you receive him? Maybe you would pray something like this. You would acknowledge that you sinned. You would acknowledge that he died for you. You would confess your belief that he rose again. And you would trust him. God's word says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that can happen for you today. Right there in your home, maybe you're alone, maybe there's seven of you. Um, I, I want to ask you to bow your heads and pray right now. Just bow with me. And today if you want to know for certain in these uncertain days that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, pray something like this with me. Lord Jesus, 
I haven't believed much about you in the past. But today, I believe you died for me. I need a Savior. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you rose again and you're alive. Would you come into my life and save me? I want to live for you forever. In Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Now listen, I may never see you ever until we get to heaven. But maybe I will see you before then. I'd love to hear from you. In just a moment, Sean's going to tell you how you could let me know that today you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Please let me know that today before too much time passes. Let me celebrate with you and begin to pray with you. It would be kind of a virtual response to what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Now, we're going to close also this morning with a song that just reminds us of what an incredible day this is. You see, today we are, we are celebrating Jesus Christ. And it is in him above all others and in him alone that we know for certain that we will spend eternity with him even in these days of uncertainty. Amen.